on today's episode. Don't panic. Our search trends play a little defense, and you may never look at copper wiring the same way ever again. Greetings and salutations. Happy to have you along for another installment of Dividend Dispatch, the ultimate show for dividend investors brought to you by Dividend.com. And welcome to 2016. It's red, red, and more red. Yeah. The worst market open in 84 years and the worst four-day stretch at the open ever. But I digress. Coming up on today's episode, the Dividend Market Minute leads the way, then it's over to Dividend Search Trends, then we'll explore our fan favorite, the oh shit moment, and today's is a doozy, a blunder of hubris that saw the loss of nearly $3 billion in the copper market. Yes, that was a B. And then capping off the show, it's the Dividend Search Trends. This is your friend Jeff Falks from Dividend.com, easing you out of last week and into the one ahead, perhaps even talking you off the ledge. Let's get started. Time now for the Dividend Market Minute. Well, I can think of a few rude words to sum up the start of 2016, but this is, uh, well, a family show, not that you're going to make your kids listen, but you should. And for now, let's stick with the word down. The jolt of positivity that we felt from the Fed's rate rise back in December, well, that has since dissipated. Continuing with the post-holiday season losses, stocks have continued their trend downward this week especially on the backs of a variety of negative factors. On the economic data front, key gauges in manufacturing, unemployment, and consumer sales have all been pretty bleak here at home. And then data in China, well, slightly worse. Two days where they had to suspend trading and not helping either of these issues are company-specific problems. And these are a mixed bag of concerns from poor Christmas sales to big earnings misses. Stocks themselves haven't exactly hit it out of the park either, obviously as a result of all of the aforementioned. That's helped drive volatility and share prices down across the board. As for the week that's coming at us, well, brace yourself. It could be more of the same. This week should see, well, a little bit more of the global turbulence that we've seen last week. And none of the global issues have been really cured. And the data released this week could really tip things off in the wrong direction. That said, it could go other way. But the outlook looks bleak. That's because the week that's coming is all about the consumer. More importantly, just how much the consumer spent over that critical holiday season. Retail sales for the last month will be reported at the end of the week. And based on some early grumblings and holiday sales data that we've seen, the number might not be so hot. That plus consumer sentiment figures could add to the overall nervousness of the U.S. economy, and it's already sitting rather stationary. As for earnings, it's kickoff time for the next round of earnings seasons. What's important here is that many firms will be providing their full year 2015 numbers. That's a far more accurate depiction of just how well they did. Any surprises here, though, and it could sink markets once again. Now, it's not all doom and gloom, and I'm sorry that it sounds like I'm giving you all the doom and gloom. I'm just spouting the facts that I've seen the last couple of days. But U.S. job numbers were positive on Friday morning, and unemployment rates stayed the same at 5%, just as they were the last time and the time before that. 
So that's why I use the term stationary when describing our economy here at home. Perhaps it's the instant coffee generation of traders that expects results in seconds. You know, the Fed flips the switch to raise interest rates and therefore in their minds, everything should be great. And then when it's not, they panic. Thus, the next logical conclusion is to assume everything is breaking. So give it time. And as Muhammad El Aryan said recently, stocks are pricing the new volatility right now. Rome was not built in a day, or in this case, rebuilt in a day. Stay the course, stay patient. Dividend search trends. It's time now for the dividend search trends. Ever wondered what weird and wonderful things your dividend compatriots are searching for on the internet? Well, no need to hack their computers or tiptoe around their house to find out what they're what they're looking at. We'll tell you. And of course, it's all anonymous. We don't actually keep the who's who of what they're searching. Just the general trends. Here are the top five sitting at the fifth spot. It's Pepsi. And this is one of those things that when it trends, we don't really have a way to account for it. I do know that right before Christmas, Pepsi promised that they would have healthier options in their vending machines. Perhaps that spurred some interest in you. Further, Tianfu Cola, a drink that was hugely popular in China in the 1990s, is starting to make a comeback. Pepsi used to own a stake in Tianfu, and despite sniffing around to see if that were still the case, I couldn't find anything conclusive. So if you know anything, drop us a line as always. Number four, Cisco. Exposure to emerging markets like China, where economic growth is slowing, could weigh on Cisco's growth. Also, the strengthening U.S. dollar is a headwind for large multinational companies. This could tie in as well. Nevertheless, Cisco holds an excellent balance sheet. They've got $59 billion in cash and short-term investments on hand with just $21 billion in long-term debt to worry about. They're an attractive valuation, trading for 14 times earnings, a significant discount from the market multiple. Lastly, they've got a high dividend yield and dividend growth. Cisco stock yields 3.2% on the dividend side and raised its dividend recently by 10%. So that could be spurring your queries as well. At number three is AT&T. They just increased their dividend and as well, AT&T is one of our best dividend stocks. It's also perhaps a defensive move as well. That was driving queries on dividend.com. Number two, GlaxoSmithKline. All signs here point to a defensive safe haven or defensive move, especially given the last few days. And lastly, one of my favorites at number one, it's the Bank of Nova Scotia. They had strong earnings along with uh, the other Canadian banks as well. But that said, BNS is a strong bank and sitting well below its 52-week high. So perhaps it's a good buy time. Perhaps some of you noticed that and that drove the query volume in that realm. It also could be a defensive move as well, given the stock performance of Bank of Nova Scotia over the last few decades. Oh, moment. It's that magical part of the show where we look at some of the biggest financial blunders in history, those kinds of moments that would make anybody in that time say, oh, and I'm not going to lie. This one kind of makes me laugh, not because I'm a jerk. I never want to see good people lose money or get in trouble but because I try to be a good human, and when I see people doing selfish or unthought or evil things, I laugh when they get their comeuppance because what did you expect? Call it karma, call it whatever. 
This one goes to Japan and the former copper trader at Sumitomo Corporation, Yasuo Hamanaka. And I'm probably butchering that name, so my apologies. Uh, he was well known as Mr. Copper and as Mr. 5% because that's how much of the world's copper supply he once owned. Well, Mr. Hamanaka tried to corner the copper market one day, and as I said, he controlled 5% of the world's copper supply. And I know what you're thinking, 5%? That doesn't sound like a whole lot considering that leaves 95% of the copper elsewhere. However, copper is a very illiquid commodity, and it cannot be easily transferred or sold, especially in a time of world shortage. You need to ship it, it's heavy to move, there are purchase fees, there is a logistical nightmare at hand should you want to move a great deal of copper. It's not an overnight process. Thus, 5% on hand is actually quite a huge amount. And here's how the idea worked from Mr. Hamanaka. Mr. 5%, his company, Sumitomo, owned large amounts of physical copper along with huge cash reserves. Thus, they were able to keep the price of copper artificially high. Anybody who shorted the stock, well, they fell victim to the deep pockets of Hamanaka and Sumitomo. But as we know from last week in the stock market, what goes up must come down. And his attempt to corner the market failed, and it failed miserably. In June of 1996, Sumitomo Corporation reported a loss of $1.8 billion in what they said was unauthorized copper trading by Hamanaka on the London Metal Exchange. And then in September 1996, Sumitomo disclosed that the actual losses were closer to $2.6 billion. Hamanaka was sentenced to eight years in prison. But we can logically assume that given the vast amount of money that was being spent here, that Hamanaka's managers had to have known something. But either way, he took the fall for it. And hubris, let the lesson show, will catch up with you sooner or later. And by the way, $2.6 billion in 1996 translates into $3.6 billion when it's adjusted for inflation. And that stings just a little. So when I always tell you at the end of every show, don't get greedy, well, maybe this is the reason why. Investment philosophies. We're drawing to the end of the show, which means it's time for investment philosophies, parting words to aid you in your dividend voyage and usually in your life in general. But today it's going to be strictly about investing, especially given the last few days that we've had on the markets. Our investment philosophy on this installment isn't the usual one. But as I just said, the environment for it is right. And our great columnist, Evan Cooper, here at Dividend.com, recently penned a piece uh, for the Dividend Advisor. If you don't subscribe to that newsletter, it's money well spent. And if you've never read anything from Evan, well, all I can say is that you must. Seriously, you must. Any writer, especially a finance writer, who can make me laugh out loud while I read about the markets is worth his or her weight in gold in my books. Anyways, I digress yet again. Evan recently penned a piece where he mentioned the three investment philosophies of Michael Edesis. And I think it's key when the deluge of bad news pours down on us that we revisit these items as dividend investors. And here are his three simple rules to investing and rules to remember as you invest. At number one, ignore 99.9% .9 of the investment alternatives offered by the financial industry. At number two, invest by looking forward, not backward. Number three, screen out virtually everything Wall Street has to say, the major asset managers and 
what the press are writing because most of it is wrong. Most of it's glorified to sort of sensationalize, scare, redirect. Not something that we want to be worried about. Enjoy your dividends over the next little while. It's going to be a bit of a rocky road. Shop for bargains. Look for stalwarts that are reliable, that have been around forever. And remember, invest as though the market could close for the next five years. Don't trade. Good luck in the coming week. I look forward to speaking to you soon.